Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, folks around the world, welcome back to Hot Takes Only. This is episode 42. <laughs> Willie, Mikel Arteta, Arsenal manager, he's in trouble. What is he going to do? Yeah, folks, there's a, a, a plug we've been talking about when he gets fired doing an emergency podcast. We'll emergency be absolutely We'll have the Arsenal uh, crew. Uh, we'll, we'll trace back why Arsenal has declined. So we're calling it right now that it's a matter of when, not if, and uh, it's going to happen. He's a dead man walking, isn't he? Mikel Arteta. Uh, and the reason yeah. we say that, Willie, the reason we say that after two weeks in the 2021-2022 Premier League season is because yeah. you got the prediction right on day one. Brentford, home to Arsenal, a 2-0 win. And honestly, they, they played Arsenal off the park in every aspect of the game. Yeah, absolutely. Complete. In utter, Brentford were the better team. They deserved to win. And, you know, there there was a lot of talk about would the Arsenal signings help? So, you know, so far, the season's been complete chaos. The signings haven't been performed up to standards. You know, um, players are missing from the team from illness or injury. And the players just seem to be disjointed and from the manager. And so there's a lot of worrying signs. And I think that I think that this is the the season, um, like I said before, I think this is the season that Arsenal legitimately breaks. And sometimes people who hit rock bottom or teams hit rock bottom, it's the start of something good. So something good might ultimately come out. But we are headed, I I believe that this team is about to, to crumble and absolutely break and hit complete rock bottom. But, but Willie, what's, what's, what, I mean, it, how how is it is it the manager is it the club like what what is what do you think is causing this obviously we can get a more detailed perspective on it when it, yeah. as as you're saying when arteta loses his job yeah. but i mean what's uh-huh. the what's the thinking yeah i think um i mean i honestly think i mean we're, there's a number of directions we could go but i personally think a lot of the blame should go to adu the director of football that has been with the club for three years. And the reality of the fact is that Arsenal just has a bunch of mediocre players. Like they have a bunch of good, but not great players, not enough to really win. And I've looked up a list of, of some of the players here that have come through the squad, um, you know, or have, have left and it's just not good enough, you know? And so you've got, um, you know, you've got Thomas Partey, uh, you know, he's been kind of missing from injury. You've got, um, Pablo Marie, who's eh, he's okay. Uh, you've got Martin Odegaard, who eh, he's just okay. Uh, Willian, complete disaster. Um, you know, you, they lost Joe Willock, who we've talked about. I thought he was a really good player. You know, they thought William Saliba would be an answer at center back. He hasn't featured for the club. Uh, You know, you have Ben White. He doesn't look that great. You have uh, El Nenny, who's been out on loan. There is the Henrik Mkhitaryan disaster, who keeps kind of going out on loan. I mean, you know, you've got, um, you know, and you you have one or two good ones. But, you know, and then you have, you know, Gabriel, um, you know, and you have, uh, oh, uh, Pepe, Nicola Pepe has been, I mean, we talked about before the season 
Nicola Pepe just doesn't look like that good a player. Like, forget the stats he puts up. He just he doesn't look that inspiring, to be honest. And so, uh, honestly, I mean, there's a lot of we, the defensive frailties are really well known. But I just think the squad is simply not good enough. It's just not good enough. So, so squad is definitely something that we're gonna we're gonna discuss in in depth. Obviously, you know, as we're saying, if yeah. you know, if, if what we're saying is right, and it's a when situation that Arteta loses his job, uh, we'll have a more nuanced view of this. But ultimately, is it? It's a combination of the squad, Willie. But I'd also argue as well. There's a bit of just the DNA of the club revolving around Arsene Wenger for so many years, and him yeah. being the face of Arsenal Football Club. I mean, yes, you had icons like Henri yeah. and you had um uh Vieira, you had Ian Wright, Birdcamp. Birdcamp, exactly. And yeah. by the time that most of those legends start leaving, Henri leaves, Birdcamp retires, Vieira retires. By the time all these established players from the Invincibles are no longer part of the club or have gone elsewhere. Yeah. You're not Filling it with the same sort of big personalities that can be the face of a club, and so when yep. Wenger leaves, you're kind of left with a void. I mean, who's who's the if you were to take out Mikel Arteta, who who's the face of this football club? I mean, uh, it, it, there, do, is there one? There, no, I think Bakari Saka will be soon, but that's about it, really. Right, and you're asking you an 18 year old who is you know who had a very difficult situation for him at euro 2020 no thanks to gareth southgate and and some of the other england players but it's it's one of those things that you're asking a lot of someone who's so young to kind of carry the burden of this club i mean maybe it could be emil smith Rowe. maybe we're overlooking someone who doesn't get all the headlines right now who has shown Uh flashes of brilliance at a young age uh recently signing a long-term contract maybe he's one of the guys who kind of is that personality that Arsenal have needed yeah. since Wenger left. Sure. Yeah, I mean, they need someone They need someone to pop. I mean, you know, quote-unquote. They need someone to, you know, become a star player. And the situation is not getting better any soon because, you know, there's rumors about Lacazette and Aubameyang being unhappy. Um, Aubameyang is really like the only thing that keeps them going because last year the team really, really struggled to score goals, which is unusual. Defensively, they were great. They were third in goals conceded only, I think 39 goals a lot, which is fantastic. Uh, second, a uh, third behind Man City and Chelsea, but they really struggled to score goals. And Aubameyang went through that, that drought at the beginning of the season where he was really struggling. And so things are not about to, get better uh and i think another mistake of badu by the way of adu by the way i think they i think it's pretty obvious they should have cashed in on obama yang they could have sold him for a really good fee you know use that money for someone else um you know and and so yeah i i just think that the team they they've never really figured out um it's talk. It's it's this simple. But ever since you know they're they're stuck to this Arsenal DNA, this way of playing, and they've just never been figured out. The word everyone uses is balance. You know, it's like they, Emery and Arteta have never been able to. They've messed with tactics so many times, 
and they've just never been able to find the right system or players, you know? Yeah. I mean, we, we joke about yeah. it occasionally, but I think you and I, and certainly the Arsenal crew, have talked about guys like Tony Pulis and Sam Allardyce being kind of maybe what they need at this point. I mean, they have this DNA mm. of playing the attractive football. It's it's passing. It's yeah. pass and move, pass and move. It's the Arsenal way. But at what point do you say, we have strayed way too far from where we are supposed to be as a club that we need yeah. to go back to literal route one football and that starts yeah. with sam allardyce tony pulis and other kind of you know quote unquote proper managers yeah and, well, and you you talked about david Moyes too but uh, we'll talk about yeah. west ham a little later but that that is almost seeming a little more a little more and more unlikely because west ham are, are getting up there as far as yeah being the you know outside of the the top four you know the uh the manchester mm-hmm. clubs chelsea and liverpool being the the true contenders for a top four spot, they're they're kind of asserting themselves up there. That's where where Spurs are supposed to be, where Arsenal's supposed to be. That, right now, that's West Ham, and yeah, I, I don't think Moyes yeah. wants to leave anytime soon. I think, and he's the perfect manager. You get the players, you know, to play very hard for the team, work hard, you know, work hard defensively, have a really good shape. You know, he's he. You're right. He's exactly exactly what they need to be honest and honestly when Arteta first took over um it looked like he'd kind of figured it out like the team was working really hard without the ball and he was putting a lot of um you know he's putting a lot of emphasis on that and and trying to find a defensive shape but you know slowly over time you know the the team hasn't found a and I you know it's it's so interesting because I feel like today's, you know, you've really got to go one of two ways. The problem is Arsenal haven't gone either. Like, the, clearly in today's soccer, the best way to play analytically is to press, press high. It's all about um, creating turnovers in the opposition half, um, getting lots of, you know, the metrics they use are expected goals and stuff like that, getting shots in really good position. But, or, you know, revert into a stable block. And it, it just seems like Arsenal hasn't really done either. You know, unlike all of these other big clubs who seemingly have developed a really good counterattack, mm-hmm. a really good press, or a, a formation um, with a back three or whatever it is. You know, they haven't found a way of playing. And, you know, and then, so yeah, I think that's part of it as well. Yeah. And the NBC broadcasts have talked about this too, to that point. They've talked about Arsenal not having a clear plan yeah. on the pitch that you can see when they are playing in really important games. First game yeah. of the season is a really important one, even if there's 37 more to go. Because you lay down a marker for the rest of the season. You go, this is how we start the season. This is the benchmark. Yeah. You want to set a good example. All of the big clubs on the first day, they want to win 3-4-5-0. They want to come out of the gates flying because they want to set that example not only for the rest of the league but for themselves arsenal when they played against brentford and i think we should give brentford a lot of credit for this arsenal looked like they had no idea what they were supposed to do and that comes from the manager you can have all the talent in the world but if they have no idea what they're supposed to do or what you want them to do even if you don't tell them to do anything they 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 need some sort of you know push in the right direction i don't think they, they got that with with arteta or i don't think they're getting that with arteta rather yeah, 
No, absolutely. Every one of these teams, it's amazing. Honestly, they really are the only Premier League team I can think of. Like every single team in the Premier League, I could tell you this is their identity. And it just doesn't feel like Arsenal. I mean, you would say the Arsenal way of playing, but it just doesn't even feel like when you watch them. Every other team in the Premier League, whether it's good or bad, seems like they have a, a way of playing and kind of systems they like to use. And it just seems like Arsenal doesn't, yeah. you know? And then again, also, I mean, the reality is we've talked about, I mean, the players just aren't good enough. I mean, you know, if we want to talk about, you know, um, we want to talk about uh, if you really want to be solid defensively, you know, one it's one of the biggest things you absolutely need, which we've been talking about for so many seasons, is that strong, solid, holding defensive midfielder. Mm-hmm. We know about all the perils of Granit Xhaka, you know, all the issues with him. Is he going to be at the club or not? Then, you know, you had Guendouzi. He's gone. Torreira now has been shipped out. Thomas Partey, they thought, was going to be great, but then he's been injured all the time. And so I think you look around all the clubs, Chelsea, Manchester City, uh, Manchester United, um, Liverpool, they all have great kind of holding defensive midfielders. Uh, I, you know, I, I and, guess maybe for Manchester United, they, maybe they don't. If you, and, if you call Pogba. Right, but and, and Chelsea having arguably the world's best in the world's Nicola best. Conte. It's the safe zone. Uh-huh. And then, you know, I, I never understood why, you know, um, I, I personally think that they need to, and I know like we talk about the, the goal scoring here is really the issue, but I, I, I personally think that, you know, it would be best for for Arsenal if they. I know, you know, if you don't do it right, you can get exposed or whatever. But I always thought a back three is always a good. It seems like these days there's been analytics that have also showed. I was reading an article that teams with a back three they they just tend to allow less scoring chances, and so the center back issue I think is still there. I, you know, I don't think Rob Holding is, is good enough. Uh, and so, you know, I just think maybe play back three. I mean, that's another thing they could do. But like I said, Pepe's been a miss. And there's all kinds of issues with Aubameyang and Lacazette. And, you know, they tried Florian Balagon in the first game, too. Um, yeah, there's just – they just need a better squad. I mean, that's, that's the truth. Yeah, you know. it, it'll be a, a serious period of transition for Arsenal. Uh, before we go on, Willie, I do want to give a quick mention to Brentford because they were yeah. phenomenal in Week One. Yeah. Uh, not as good, not as good Week they Two, are. but that's to be expected. You know, it's the first game of the season at home, first top flight game in seventy four years. It's to be expected yeah. to have that kind of bounce from the home crowd. But what a story yeah. they're going to be this entire year! Just the fact that they're in the league, not even the fact, not, regardless of whether or not they stay up, just the fact that they're here. And they're they're getting results against Arsenal at home on the first day of the season. That's huge for the game. Yeah, I think that there have been, you know, you think about Wolves, Sheffield United. You think about back in the early two thousands, Reading was a really good story for mm. one season. Um, you get occasionally you get 
teams that come into the, the Premier League that just have that really good first season. But this is the best story of all of them. Yeah. I mean, a club that hadn't been in the Premier League since 1947. And it honestly is really one of the best stories in, in sports. And I think moral of the story, honestly, I mean, we can talk about the team. That team looks really good. They look like a team that can actually finish in the top half of the table. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, this is why the, you know, Super League, you know, yeah. there wouldn't be teams like Brentford of the Super League. Probably not. Or, I mean, who would care? So, exactly. You know, I just think it's important not to forget that. Let's not put the Super League out of our minds. Right. Quite and, yet. But, yeah. Uh, a, a big point to that, and I'll, I'll, I'll quickly mention my roommate, Reese. Um, he yep. he said he stopped watching Arsenal after the Super League news broke. And I don't blame him because it, it takes moments like Brentford beating Arsenal at home on the first day of the season in the first top flight game in 74 years. It takes that out of the equation because no one cares about that game if there's a Super League. And the fact that Real Madrid and Barcelona and Juventus are still pushing it is still kind of like, come on, guys, get with the times. Like, read the room, please. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Unfortunately, I don't think it's going to go away. No. You know, I think it's always going to be there. It's going to come back at some point, but it's amazing how I think, you know, you're right. I, I just, they're so tone deaf, people yeah. who, who talk about, you know. Yep, especially um, Florentino Perez. What, what an yeah. idiot. Uh, but anyways, oh. we, I don't want to spend too much time talking about Perez because we have to talk I, about... I do, I do just want oh, sorry, to say uh, real quick. No, yeah. I do just want to say real quick that I think that one... It's interesting, right? So there's all these cautionary tales, though, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you think about, like I said, Reading. Um, Wigan Athletic was mm-hmm. another team. Yep. Uh, Ipswich Town. Mm-hmm. Nottingham Forest. Mm. Um, Sunderland. That's a little bit of an exception. Um, Charlton Athletic, mm-hmm. a team that I went to a game. You know, I just think you should enjoy the season because there's so – I mean, it's very hard that that second season syndrome. And even if not, you know, it's very hard to be stable in the Premier League. And so you hope yeah. that Brentford is here today. But this is a club that sells a lot of players. I would not be surprised if they have a great season and are balanced next year. So – yeah, I mean, it, it, it's just bound to happen. It's the nature of the beast, especially with the top six. The, the divide between, you know, your your traditional big six clubs and the rest of the pack, it, it is still widening, even if the powers like West Ham or uh, Wolves pre-Nuno leaving. We'll talk about Nuno a little bit. But it, it, it's a really important point to keep in mind. But either way, Brentford is still one of the biggest stories, if not the biggest story so far this season. Just the yeah. fact that they are who the they are comp- and they're flying yeah, out the gates no, like this. Ab- absolutely. it's We have to stay up on them. Best story. I just think on the – I know it's a cautionary tale. I know it sounds buzzkill. But the best comp I can think of to them is, is Reading. Like I said, I remember watching them when they were younger. And they had – I read this stat in an article. They had – Three, they've had three Premier League seasons. They were relegated two times. <laughs> and that one season, they had a magical year. That was the year that Peter Cech fractured his skull mm. and uh, did well. And uh, they finished eighth. Mm. So I could see that being a similar situation with Brentford. Right. A cautionary tale, but still, it's fun to dream and it's fun to think about this whole situation, anyways. Yeah. 
We got to switch gears, Willie, because we got to talk about the big one this weekend. Liverpool, Chelsea at Anfield. I know there's been a lot of talk about both clubs in the last six months, six to eight months. Liverpool in 2021 up until basically April. Not that great. Chelsea Uh after Tuchel was hired. Flying. Phenomenal. The opposites of the two. But so far this year, they have shown they I mean, they have identical numbers so far in the season. They both scored five goals, conceded zero, and have six points out of six. So this game is going to be the, I guess, early season benchmark for not only them, but for the rest of the top six as well. As in, these are probably two of the guys who are going to go toe-to-toe for the title with City. And if this is any indication of the standard that needs to be set for anyone to knock City off of their perch, then... I think we're in for we're in for a title race. Like I said, a title race for the ages this year. Yeah, I think this title race for the ages is. I'm hoping it's incredible, but honestly, Owen, like I I I think that, and I'm not just saying this because I'm biased. I mean, I think right now that this is a much bigger game for Liverpool mm-hmm. because personally, I, I think that Chelsea has been on. Such a role. I mean, it's absolutely incredible since Tuchel came over. And I think that Chelsea, if they, if Chelsea wins this game, I think we could be looking at a team that's like comes flying out of the gates, that goes on a big run. And so, but there's all these doubts and about can Chelsea really do this for a full season? And so I think this is a much bigger game for, for Liverpool. But I pulled up uh, some stats. Um, because I thought it was interesting, but maybe they're not here anymore. I had, it was great, but, um, it was just the amount of, um, they're not here, but I'll have to find it. (laughs) So for example, at the end of last season, literally like the defensive numbers were so good, like goals allowed half the goals that Lampard's team allowed in roughly the same amount of games, so many less, uh, chances against, uh, and like, and stuff. It's just honestly, and more, cl- way more clean sheets. Just mm-hmm. really, really incredible. Uh, yeah. Stuff. Yeah. And and I I don't want to diminish the job Tuchel has done. We'll get to the Liverpool side of it in a second. But I don't want to diminish the job he's done at all because he is, like you said, he. I mean, he won the Champions League in his first six months with the club. That's yeah. that that doesn't happen very often. Uh, Chelsea have not been a club that historically have had issues buying players or selling or retaining their top talent. They ha- they are not one of those clubs that has had that kind of history since Abramovich took over. So oh. they have the luxury of if one manager's not working out, bring in another, he can get the most out of the players until that manager can't get the most out of the players, and then they bring in another one. They have that luxury. So Tuchel already had a world-class set of players to work with when he got to the club. That's not the same for every manager. Well, what he well, did I'll, with I'll them, think, though, is still yeah. it, it, it is still one of the most incredible six month, six to eight month runs I've ever seen. But let's mm. not forget the fact that these are world class players. Yes, there's a lot of young. There were a lot of young players yeah. to start. Tammy Abraham, Mason Mount, just coming out of the academy after Lampard's first year. Yeah. Talking about Timo Werner and Kai Havertz, both of them under the age yeah. of 25. It, it makes sense that this kind of thing yeah. happened. It's not like this is out of left field with players you yeah. never expect to be this good. Uh-huh. They're very quality players, well, and Tuchel's a good manager. Yeah. 
Okay, so two things. Uh, one, just quickly, I found these stats, and these were last season. Um, last season, before Tuchel and after Tuchel, they had 11 clean sheets to seven, 13 goals conceded to 23 before. Um, they call it big chances in the article. 14 allowed to 28 with Lampard. And shots in the box. They went from fifth in shots in the box to first in shots in the box. So just incredible. But what Tuchel has done is, I think he's just, you know, he's given them a, a system. But the only thing I would say about that, though, is like, I, I, I know this is going to sound crazy, but... Yes, they have Chelsea have a very good uh, recruitment and and front office or whatever you want to call it. They do, you know, make great signings. The only thing I would caution though is is I do think that there are half the Chelsea team is like legitimately like we because we're in the Premier League. We're talking about like big big clubs with really rich and so. I don't think on paper Chelsea has, you know, as much individual talent as Manchester United or Manchester City. About half their players, I think you'd say, are good but not, you know, top. Six, they've got about half their team is at their positions and the other half isn't. So it's I think part of it's just the system, you know, and, and what they, they do. Right, you know? no, so, I- and getting the most out of them. Right. And I'm not trying to take away from anything that Tuchel has done. I think he's, yeah. he, he has done one of the most incredible jobs we've seen from a manager in such a short yeah. amount of time, given the circumstances. Yeah, yeah. I just want to say that Chelsea are in a position more so than most other clubs that are kind of in that period of transition. I mean, you were looking at Liverpool when, when Klopp took over in October, 2015. I mean, name one world-class player in that squad outside of, uh, yeah. uh, who was, who a world-class at, at that time? I mean, Firmino was at the club. Sure. I mean, Coutinho is maybe the only true world-class player at that club when Klopp took over. So obviously his project, he was going to take time. It was going to take investment in the squad. It was going to take selling players who quite frankly, weren't up to the task. And what he built is something incredible. Tuchel didn't have to do the exact same thing. He, he was kind of asked to do that already with a squad that was already assembled for him. But what he did when he put it all together again was incredible. And it, it is a bigger test for Liverpool so far, you know, this early in the season because of the, the, the return of Van Dyke and because of all of the, the talk from pundits about, oh, their mojo was gone last year. It was this, that, and the other. I'm going to tell you all right now. I'm a Liverpool fan. Yes. This is going to be biased. Yes. I don't care. Liverpool did not lose their mojo last year. They lost their center backs all mm. of them including the center backs who aren't center backs by trade there was a point in the season where they had zero senior players who were yeah. fit zero it's incredible nat phillips yeah. and reese williams are glorified they are academy graduates they were yep. just out of the academy not a full-blown senior player not a joe gomez yep. virgil van dyke joel matip yep Jordan Henderson and Fabinho played more games at center back than, than those two, at, the, at least towards the end of the season. Ozan Kabak came yep. in. He got he struggled with injury, too. Nat Phillips didn't play every game. Reese Williams also got hurt a little bit. I mean, it, it was legitimately every 
player at one position getting hurt. And that's yep. not a club losing its mojo. It's losing their say, team. Can I just remind you that I, I did point out that they had three center backs. You did. <laughs> Do you remember you did. pointing that out? You did. No, I, know, I remember I this in our preview podcast about a year ago. You talked about the <laughs> fact that they they didn't go out and reinforce their squad after and winning the league. It's important to remember because it is really important to remember because despite all those crazy injuries and like you said, even to younger players or to signings or whatever, like it is very important. I think that was a big mistake by the board because Matip and Gomez had had injury history. So you really were only looking at one healthy center back like coming into the season. And yep. then he so that that's like a worry sign right there, you know. Yeah. Um so yep. but but you're I, I I mean I would say, you know, they um I'll tell you what, the uh the Liverpool I mean, I think it's incredible to talk about the defensive system that how well they've done and now that they've got this Costa Minkus guy uh, what do you think about Costa Minkus he Simikas? Costa Simikas so so Klopp bought him last year as cover for Robertson because obviously since he displaced uh James Milner and then Alberto Moreno uh since he mm. displaced both of them at left back he has played basically every single game and that's a problem mm. when you run as much as Andy Robertson does. So Klopp mm. last last uh, last summer said, you know what? We need to buy someone who can be back up for Robertson. Let's bring in Simikas. Mm. He's got pace to burn, and he's got a lot of raw talent. And that's the key that mm. FSG allows Klopp to look for. Because if it was up to Klopp and he had an owner like Abramovich or like Sheik Mansour, and if he had a team with money to burn, then he would mm. go out and get the best players in the world because I mean he he would he Klopp attracts everyone to play for him because he's he's maybe the most easily likable manager in football and everyone will say this even Sean Deitch who is always hypercritical of Klopp in the in in the press even he mm-hmm. is friends with Klopp outside of outside of the game and that tells you mm-hmm. all you need to know about the guy so it's it's not is a question he, of being able to Klopp yeah they were talking really? about this like they they actually they're friends. Not like super, super close friends, but they're friends outside of the game. But they, you know, obviously when they're managing their teams and they're playing a certain way and trying to get results in football matches, it's a different story. But Klopp's a, the, the, the issue with Liverpool and, and their recruitment is not Klopp. It's no, the powers that be sh- above him who are giving him money or not giving him money. Yeah. FSG's business model, and we've talked about this in the past, is basically they don't put any money in the club and they don't take any out. Yeah. They operate it as a self-sustaining business model. And Klopp even says this. He says, we're allowed to spend the money that we make. And so they, they're only they're only able to spend money when they make money, either signing which, players, winning trophies, etc. Which, 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 let's be honest, let's not get lost. That's a good business model. Like, like you know, Manchester United has so much debt. I mean, it's crazy. How about Barcelona? With billions of dollars in debt. Barcelona. Let's not get lost. You have to do this to many clubs, you know, if they're not really rich. I mean, they get in trouble. So, you know, like, let's let's just, before we jump on them, let's just say, and to be fair, we do have to point this out with Arsenal, too. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, 
I understand that Kronkies are very wealthy, but look, it's no secret that in this crazy world of football spending, I mean, any club can get in big debt. So I yeah. just think it's we do spend ownership a little bit. No, I, 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 I don't necessarily completely disagree with that. There's, there's a fine line, I think, between the business side of the game and the, the sporting side of the game. And to me, Liverpool have it most of the time pretty well, uh, pretty well nailed down. It's, it's, pre- it's a very solid system when you look at it. They go out in the market and they buy 22, 23, 24-year-old players with a lot of raw potential. They give him a world-class mm-hmm. manager and Jurgen Klopp who has a track record of taking raw talent and turning them into world-class superstars. Not just stars, world-class superstars. See Robert Lewandowski. And they don't need to go and buy the Mbappes of the mm-hmm. world who are raw, who are extreme talents who are already accomplished. He doesn't need to go out and buy the Neymars. He doesn't need to go out and buy the, the Messies. Or, or you, you yeah. doesn't need to buy the best players. Ownership doesn't need him to do that because they know they have the manager who's going to just develop the player and then end up selling mm-hmm. him to Barcelona for 100 million pounds plus add-ons. Uh, hi, Coutinho. Mm-hmm. How you doing? Um, so it's, it's one of those things where I get it from a business perspective. It's an incredibly sustainable model. And you have to give them props on the business side. On the sporting side, it is maddeningly frustrating. It, I mean, it, I, I cannot tell you how many times. I mean, I was even trying to convince myself that Liverpool were fine without another center back. But there was a part of me last season as well that was like, I would like to see them sign another center back because, you know, there's no telling through a whole season what's going to happen. Obviously, we didn't. No one saw that that magnitude of an injury crisis coming. But you still have to understand that, you know, they weren't ill-equipped mm. for a season. They were mm. maybe one player mm. short, maybe. But what are the odds? Mm. What are the odds in one single season that every senior player who not only is a center back by trade, but who can play yeah. center back, what are the odds that all of them are hurt at the same time? It, I mean, that, yeah. if, if you know the odds of that, go buy a lottery ticket. Like, I'm, I'm serious. And so this all goes back yeah. to the point where... It's a fine line between the business side of the game and the sporting side of the game. And yeah. Liverpool tread that line every single year in the transfer window. Every single transfer window, they are in the middle of that line. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you I you, you I think you said it perfectly. I think you you said it spot on. Completely yeah. spot on. So before we move on, Willie, because we spent a lot of time on this and we do have to talk about one Harry Kane. Predictions yeah. for Saturday. Go. Um. Yeah, I'm gonna say nil, nil. Ooh, at Anfield, uh, I'm gonna go two on Liverpool. Okay. A rare. I'm picking a rare Liverpool win. When I when I pick Liverpool in big games, they usually don't win. But you better not. But better I, not I I don't know. Klopp. Is this gonna be a a a, a Firmino situation in the like Tottenham ninetieth uh, stoppage time minute? <laughs> it could be. Well. Or or. Or a certain Ibrahima Konate could make his debut for the club. Uh, 1-1, Leighton 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 injury time. Late set piece in the game, cop end. Konate, winner. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I I am personally excited for the the time when Klopp has to rotate his squad and he's able to put 
Ibrahima Konate next to Virgil van Dijk. That as a Liverpool fan is genuinely one of the most exciting scenarios that I can think of right now, given the squad as it is. Wow. That's a really great, it's uh, a really great, interesting uh, take, bro. I like that. I like that. Hey, yeah. by the way, I have a proposed trade. Oh boy. I'm wondering if you would, if you would, uh, if you would do this trade, if you were like, if you were the uh, uh, management or whatever. All right, hit me. What's the trade? Here's the proposed trade. Um, Chelsea trades. This is a trade between. Um, this is a trade between Chelsea and Liverpool. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Chelsea. Chelsea trades. Mm-hmm. Um, Angola Conte mm-hmm. to Liverpool. Yeah, Liverpool gives Fabinho and James Milner. I think it would actually be a very good deal for both sides because I think that Conte is better than Fabinho, and he'd be absolutely incredible in that mm-hmm. system. Yeah, where you get a like replacement, but Chelsea is a thin team at the fullback position, and in particular. You know, they've got the Emerson situation. I just, I never like when Marcus Alonso has to play. So it would be nice. James Milner could just plug in there as kind of a, a reliable player. Yeah, so, a stopgap left back. That'd be a really interesting trade. What do you think about that? Uh, I think it would too. I mean, it, it's it's interesting you bring that up because I like the way you phrase that. You say, I don't like it when Marcus Alonso plays because that's exactly yeah. how I felt about Alberto Moreno. And yeah. Who was the answer to that? James Milner. <laughs> so uh, it, it's it's really interesting, and I think for for as as much of a as a perfect fit that Conte would be for Klopp's system, I think what they have right now with Fabinho is, I mean, it's I think the versatility is something that that Liverpool yeah. would want over over the, the absolute perfect fit in N'Golo Conte. I mean, yes, every team wants N'Golo Conte. I mean, I'm sure Madrid yes. want Conte, City want Conte, but you know he's obviously untouchable. If, if you were to take Fabinho out of Liverpool, then last season, they're not even finishing the top six. I mean, he was that important to the club because it not only did he play so many games last year at center back, but when he was able, after the partnership of, of Nat Phillips and Reese Williams kind of mm-hmm. formed, when he was able to go back and play in that holding number six role, they played mm-hmm. exponentially better. And it, that's because that's where he's supposed to be. If you have someone to sit in front of the back four, then you're probably going to have a little more success. It, and it's someone, mm-hmm. of, of course, it's someone world-class like Fabinho. That's the reason mm. Liverpool were so poor last season when he had to play center back because he's usually the one in front of the back four. But they were, I mean, they've analysts have said this on broadcasts sure. repeatedly, uh, at least you know, this was last season. They said Fabinho is a center back, he's not a center back by trade. And so his instinct right. as a natural holding midfielder is to look right. behind him and to see where the center backs are. True. If he looks behind him, he only sees Allison if he's at center back. And, and that that is a, a huge difference when it comes to defending the Premier League title. If it's another league, then then maybe there's a better chance. But this is the Premier League. There's six teams in any given season who have a legitimate chance to win the title. Absolutely. I mean, at least you know in sure. in, in normal terms. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge loss when Fabinho had to play center back. You're right. He's an incredible player, and he was a great center back. I just think as good as he is, and I know he gives you more going forward, but Conte is the ultimate stopgap. Like, you can send, and Liverpool, they talk about needing goals from the midfield. Like, you could play three and push two forward, and Conte will just snuff out any break coming the other way. Mm-hmm. So he's the ultimate insurance policy. That's true. That's for- true. Risky play. No, no, I, I, I totally get that. I, and that's true. I'm, I'm not saying that I don't want N'Golo Conte at the club. Mm. But mm-hmm. just for right now, the way the club is, is set up for Liverpool. Now, it, it, would I like to have both? Absolutely. I mean, that's that's a dream scenario. Wow. But it, what would know. FSG pay for Conte? What would they be willing to pay? <laughs> Nothing. They, they're not willing to pay for Mbappe. They have the money City? to pay for what Mbappe. Would City, what would City pay for Conte? Uh, they probably go Neymar over... money. Wow, okay. I think they'd probably yeah. play Neymar money. I mean, if you add Conte to that side, they're winning the quintuple. I mean, there's no question. Yeah. Because, I mean, unless Guardiola benches him in the final. Yeah. It's just, no, you know, it's fair. Because it's, it's what Pep <laughs> yeah, does. That would be, that would be crazy. <laughs> Um, yep. Anyways, enough enough ribbing Pep aside. Oh, he's he's the best Harry manager Kane. in the world. Yeah, Harry enough Kane. enough ribbing him. Harry Kane. Yeah. I do want to get on to uh, yeah, go the, ahead. the will he won't he. Um, yeah. In two words, Willie. Se queda. In Spanish, he stays. And that's that's obviously a riff of of PK uh, before Neymar went to PSG. Uh, he so far, he has said he's going to stay, but. Maybe he's trying to get City to bump their offer up so that, you know, uh. they will actually accept it. Uh. I don't know. Yeah. I, right. This has yeah. been how many years of will he, won't he when it comes to Harry Kane? So yeah. I don't know what to make of it, dude. Do you? Because I don't. I think that, um, yeah, it's really hard to say. I I personally think that, um, and this is a situation, I think kind of like Obama Yang, and you see this in sports, when guys just get basically peer pressured to want to stay. And I just think Daniel Levy wouldn't sell Harry Kane. The reports are if they wanted 150 million pounds. And Harry Kane was just around the club and he, saw uh he probably likes Nuno as a coach and he said okay I will stay a little bit begrudgingly but like I will and maybe in a year he'll be unhappy but I think they've got him on board you know he said this summer so I think they've got him on board for a year and um but yeah this is just a crazy situation and honestly Tottenham is making a huge mistake I do not I cannot the life of me understand why they're not selling him. It makes no sense, in my opinion. Well, it makes no I mean, sense. You have you have a player who's consensus a top three striker in the world on your on your team, and yeah. he has injury problems occasionally from time to time. Sure, all players mm-hmm. do. I mean, so, it, we've a lot's yeah. been made of his injury problems right. more so than most. But when you have a player of that quality, no matter how much money yeah. you're being offered, I mean, you can't. You can't say no. I mean, it's it's like if clubs are offering, Van, you know, 
150 plus million pounds for Van Dyke. I mean, you think Liverpool want to sell him even if he wants to leave? Uh, it, it, you can't. Sometimes you just can't put a price on on that level of quality. That, but that I think the thing is, well, well, I'll say two things. One is, so you think that Daniel Levy refused to sell him? You think yeah. Harry Kane won? And they had this incredible. So the story is, they had this quote unquote gentleman's agreement mm-hmm. where Harry Kane signed a six year contract with Tottenham and said, "I." You, there's a handshake agreement where in a few years, if we're not good enough, I want you to sell me. But I'll sign a longer contract to give you a higher transfer fee to protect the club. And that would be very sad if... if And, and honestly, a really bad look for Tottenham if they didn't grant his wish. Uh, but I will just say the big mistake Tottenham are making is you got to ask yourself, you never want to be stuck in sports... You know, you never want to – you got to ask yourself, clearly with Kane, they've reached their – their ceiling was gone. Nuno is a good coach, but with just how good the other Premier League top four teams look right now, you got to say best-case scenario, I don't even think they're challenging for the top four. So it's like at that point, take the world record fee that Man City would give you and – use it to reinvest when his value is sky high will never be higher and the other thing we know terry can is the biggest knock on him is the injuries he always seems that miss a few months of the season so what happens if he plays a game and all of a sudden he suffers an injury and and man his value just it's a 20 30 million pounds right there so you know that's true i mean and and you always run the risk of that when when you have a player who wants to leave the club and there's well, kind of an agreement that you're going to sell him, but you don't get a fee that you like. I mean, it, it's it, you run the risk of of losing yeah. any value when you have numbers as high as as City are reportedly uh, offering for Kane. So, you know, I I'm still shocked that he's not a City player already. I mean, I, at this point, yeah. I mean, are City really playing this game called life with? You know, monopoly money right. because it feels like they are. Uh, it's just it. it I, I don't know. I mean, to to me, I, I still think, even though I don't, I wouldn't personally sell him if I was Daniel Levy. Even if we had a gentleman's agreement, if he says he wants to stay, then he's going to stay. I'm not going to sell him regardless. Because it's just, it's just you have that much quality that you can continue to build around him. But that's also dependent on the club having money and Tottenham having built this brand new multi-million dollar stadium, billion dollar stadium probably. I don't know how expensive it was, but it was expensive. When you have that to deal with as well, you probably don't have as much money for players, for wages. And so it's like, what do you what do? You do? I mean, do you, do you focus on the business aspect of it, the sporting aspect of it? Do you pull an FSG and try to live exactly in the middle? I mean, it's it's... I don't know. It's a, it's a tough one. And it's one that Spurs fans are going to have to deal with for the next, you know, week or so. And because I, and I, and these stores aren't going away until the window closes. You're right. The the stadium really hurt their spending. I mean, that's – they massively hurt them because you're right. They have a great strike partnership. They, with the right manager, they could maybe challenge. But I think another plot is one of your jobs as – um as a director of football 
or, you know, in this case, executive like Daniel Levy. And you see this in American sports all the time, particularly in NFL and the NBA. They're the biggest ones because it's easier to control than, than baseball. Your Part of your job is to calculate when you want to compete. You have to tank and be try to be good at just the right time. Have your plan. And I'm looking at the Premier League, and I'm saying the best time to be good is two or three years. In two or three years, Tuchel most likely will not be there. Um, Jurgen Klopp, I would say that's about the end of when he will be there. Um, I would say, you know, um, Pep, I mean, who knows? I mean, he, he might, you know, uh, burn out. I would say that, you know, who, who so who, who knows with, you know, so I think I'm just looking at those clubs and I'm like, that's, you take your lumps now, two or three years, that's the time to really hit it. And if you take the 150 million pounds, rest the right way, you could really peak at the right time. That's true, but uh, and and it's it's a really really intelligent point. I think that there's a lot of merit with that, Willie. But yeah. the only thing I'd I'd say, as you know, we're both fans. We both know that we want our club to win every single game. As a sports fan, that's oh. what that's just what you want. It's it's yeah, it's the sure, nature yeah. of sport. You want to win every single game. How do you how do you do that and not really care about winning? While at the same time communicating to your fan base that we are going to try to win every single game, we're going to try to win every trophy available. It's 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 a tough thing for for Levy to manage. I mean, I'm sure this is something that he's he's grappling with on a daily basis. Yeah. But at the end of the day, yeah. as someone in football, you have to put together a best case scenario, a a the best opportunity for your team to win as many games as they can, and. It, I just don't see them doing that if they sell Kane, even if they reinvest it very, very wisely, which they didn't do with the Gareth Bale money. So could also be another cautionary tale. But it, it it's just it's a tough situation to be in when you have the the kind of balancing act you have to you have to do at the same time. Yeah, I mean it is a, it is a it's a very tough balancing act, particularly with the fans, but. Um, you know, I, I just think that, you know, the fans will be happy as long as you show some progress and have a plan. And I think that they could absolutely support it if, particularly because he wants to leave. Because he wants to leave and he's not going to be happy. It's one thing if you really convince him and he wants to stay, but if you want to go, just cut your losses, move on. You know, that's the yeah. that's reality. No, yep. it's it's a good point. And and Willie, oh sorry, you had one more point. No, no. Okay, no. I was just gonna say. Speaking of uh, superstars who want to leave their club, uh, oh. news broke this morning. Uh, we're recording yeah. this Wednesday, the twenty fifth, uh, and this will yeah. drop on the twenty seventh, early in the morning. News broke this morning, Willie, that Kylian Mbappe wants to leave PSG, and mm. the news came directly from the club, from their sporting mm. director, sporting director Leonardo, who. Mm. Honestly, I don't know if this is a, a ploy to try to get his transfer fee up from from Madrid or or whatever it is to try to convince Mbappe that he should stay. But it, he is the kind of next domino I think is going to fall in the whole multi-billion dollar media mayhem, whatever you want to call it, 
regarding the the European transfer window. Uh, it, it's it's all what happens to Kylian Mbappe because in my head there's two scenarios. Number one, Real Madrid pay the money that PSG are asking. They're asking for the same amount of money that they paid Monaco uh, for Mbappe. Mm -hmm. They they pay that money, and Mbappe is off to Madrid. That's option one. Option two, he doesn't sign a new contract. His contract expires at the end of the year, and he has the option of going wherever he wants to go in the world. He can go to City. He can go to Liverpool. He can go to Chelsea. He can go to United. He can go to Madrid. He can go to Barcelona. He can go, well, maybe not Barcelona, but he can go basically anywhere he wants to if he doesn't sign a new contract. So if you're killing Mbappe, you kind of, I mean, I mean, what's for, for him, this is just for a young 23 year old football superstar. Mm. What do you want to do right now? Do you want to play Mm. one more year with arguably the greatest of all time, even if he's 34 and with Neymar, with Di Maria, with yeah. the long list of superstars that PSG have, Genie Wijnaldum, uh, Donnarumma, um, and then mm. some center back who's kind of mediocre. Or do you want to take your chances and try to be the guy in Madrid right at the right right off the bat at the age of what is he twenty three, twenty four? I mean, mm. it, less than that, uh, twenty twenty two. Mm. What do you? I mean, what do you want to do? And obviously. Yeah. Everyone's going to have their own opinion on what what is best for for him at that point, and that's what that's how he's thinking, no doubt, because he wants to be thought of in the same sentence as Ronaldo yeah. and Messi. But is he going to do that playing yeah. with Messi? That I think that's that's has to factor into his thinking as well. So yeah, it's it's a question of do Real Madrid blink and does he want to go to Madrid now or does he want to wait? And kind of have his pick after playing one more season because he may play he may play one more season with Messi and be like, dude, this is awesome. We're gonna win everything. I want to stay here. I want to win everything. Yeah. I want to be the guy who's kind of overtaking Messi as Messi is getting into the the twilight of his career. Yeah, will he? Well, won't he? Will he? I, I, yeah, I agree with you on. I mean, I think that there's this. Um, I think that there's this. Um, we, who knows what's in her, his heart, but I think that there's no incentive for Mbappe to not play out this year. He gets the freedom, and like you said, I mean, he wants to at least give that team a try, maybe to win the Champions League. He's also French. He's, you know, even though it's not his first, you know, he started at Monaco. I, I don't necessarily see him as a guy that would force his way out. And, uh, but, and I also, you know, I. I don't think that Real Madrid has the money to offer what PSG really wants. I mean, there are reports they want over like 200 million pounds, um, Neymar money. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, I think he will stay and t- see, look at the options. But truthfully, I don't really know where he's going, going to go because I don't particularly, to be perfectly honest, I I don't particularly feel that Liverpool or Real Madrid are great options for different reasons. Uh, so we'll see, you know? Yeah. We'll I mean, I, I texted to our group chat as a joke, Liverpool to Mbappe yeah. 2022 uh, as a joke, 100% a joke, uh, because not only can Liverpool not afford his, his transfer fee right now, but they probably won't be able to afford his wages 
if they want to keep strengthening the squad and if they want to kind of give it a proper go this season, next season, and the season after, which the third season after now, I think, or second or third after now would be Klopp's last year. 2024 yeah. is when he said he is done. Correct. I Pep think said that's he's done in 2023. I think that will – he doesn't seem like he wants to stay longer than that. I think that's the stall for any new signing. It's do I want to be here in the long term? No, it might just be a couple years, you know? Mm-hmm. That's the problem. Right. It's a, decisive, it's a decisive period for clubs like Liverpool who they know they're going to lose their manager in a couple of years. Because he he said, you know, this takes a lot out of me. I'm going to be done after this. Uh, mm. Pep has said the same thing or has, you know, apparently talked about that same thing. And, and I don't blame him, though, because it's it's grueling having to go through the, the English football calendar and deal with the press and deal with the egos and deal with the tactics and deal with the fans and, and everything you have to manage as the manager yeah. of, a, of a big six football club. So for, for Mbappe, does it come down to... Do I want to play for a manager? Do I want to play for a club? Do I yeah. want... I mean, it, it just comes down to what he wants to do, and no one really knows that except for him. And yeah. maybe he doesn't even know. Yeah, I mean, who knows? But uh, I I will tell you what. I just think, I mean, even Chris said it, but not only I'd love to see him play in the Premier League, but yes. I think players see... It's pretty clear from transfers that players see the Premier League as the best league. And so... Yeah. If he wants to give England the shot, you know, go for it, for sure. Yeah. Or, you know, he can go to Real Madrid and we'll take back Eden Hazard. <laughs> <laughs> Hazard has been we some... Get, co- uh, we can get the uh, Belgium connection. <laughs> yeah. Hazard to Lukaku. That'd be lethal. Um, yeah, it, yeah it's, it's one of those things where it just depends on what Mbappe at this point in time wants for himself. I mean, he's in mm. not even the prime of his career yet, and he's basically he has all the power in an age where players have all the power, but he really has every bargaining chip you could ask for. Mm-hmm. I mean, at at twenty two, the only trophies he hasn't won are the individual uh, world's best player trophies and the Champions League, and and, well, mm-hmm. and the Euros too. But you know he he's won the World Cup at twenty two. I mean, mm. how many players can say that and and are already kind of consensus in that conversation for best player in the world? Not a lot of players can say that. Yeah, so. yeah, for sure. Mbappe is a different one. And and Willie, this this one I want to touch on as well, because we have a few other things to get to uh, in the interest okay. of time. All right. Cristiano Ronaldo to Man City. Yeah. What? 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 I, I, I cannot see that happening for the life of me. Oh, cannot I cannot see it, it happening. Be- I think it would be fantastic. I mean, to be honest, I actually think that Ronaldo would fit very well in the team. Mm -hmm. I think, first of all, let's not forget, I think, because I I follow the Serie A. I like the Serie A. Ronaldo led the Serie A in goal scoring last season in 29 Mm -hmm. goals, five more than Lukaku. Now, Lukaku was fantastic in the. Uh, Europa League and in the the Champions League, so I still think Lukaku was better than Ronaldo in total, but in the league he did score more goals. Um, and I just think he'd be a, a a really good player. You know, he could do everything. You know, he can play in the box if they want him to. He's great at headers. You saw it with Juventus, but 
He's also still showing, uh, you know, the ability. He still has the, the, the skill and the craft to unlock, um, and kind of drift out, receive the ball deep, shoot. Um, he, you know, he is more of a, but he is more of a box player today, and that would help Man City. And so, you know, men, that, that would be a, a, I mean, I think that'd be fantastic. Oh, I mean, no, no question. It'd be a fantastic signing for City, and, and absolutely no question. Yeah. That's that's not a dispute at all. I think they, yeah. they have he would be better than the missing piece, or the the uh-huh. the supposed missing piece that they have. They, there's no missing piece at City. They're just I, I don't know what it yeah. is at that club. But I how I, you know as someone who who knows that there's a level of animosity between every one of the big six clubs and each other. Uh, you know, Liverpool and Chelsea don't get along. Liverpool and United certainly don't get along. Liverpool and, or Man City and Man United, of course, not Man City and Chelsea, Man United and Chelsea. You know, there's a level of animosity at the top. And for someone who really cut his teeth at United to go to their mm-hmm. crosstown rivals who are already winning league title after league title after league title, I mean, that mm-hmm. it would it would drive United fans insane but what would it do for for Ronaldo? like would Ronaldo want to do that you know he he talks about his connection with Sir Alex Ferguson his connection with United would he want to do that I mean yeah he played for Madrid and he left Madrid in his own terms than any of that I don't think he's the kind of guy that would care about the fan stuff I think he really just cares about winning his legacy he wants to be the best and going there but as someone who watched the Premier League when he was there and remembered how much they did for him and it was his rise to being mm. the player is today, I mean, that would be man, the Manchester Derby, <laughs> that would be that'd be epic. Yeah. That I mean, that would really be one of the all time fixtures if it was Man City with Cristiano Ronaldo at Old Trafford against Man United. And that, I'll I mean, tell you what I'll tell you what, Owen. I think it's going to get done, too. You think it's going to happen? Yes. Wow. Okay. Well, there's there's our prediction, folks. Here on Hot Takes Only, episode 42, Willie has predicted that Cristiano yeah. Ronaldo will be a Manchester City yeah. player. Yeah. Well, I, there you go. I, I believe so. Wow. Well, Willie, you made another prediction a little earlier today, switching gears yeah. a little bit. You predicted at approximately 8.47 this evening... Wednesday, August 25th, 2021. You predicted that Newcastle United are getting relegated this year. I did, and to be fair, I I also mentioned that on the preview podcast. Mm. Um but but yeah, there there's a lot of there's a lot of worrying signs on. They and they struggled at the end of last season too. They were safe for, you know, a while. You know, but but the form has continued, and I mean, it honestly it just comes down to with them. I think it's it's pretty simple, you know. In the Steve Bruce setup, is you know our Saint Maxim and uh, Callum Wilson, and really those two, and maybe a little bit from Elmiron going to get them enough goals? And I don't think so. And you saw what happens, you know, in their last game. You know, Callum Wilson, you know, missed a good chance, and they. They lost pretty good, you know. So I, I, I think, um, uh, you know, 
I, I just all in all the all the warning signs are are there for me. I, I just I don't see honestly that much to really like about this team. I really don't. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's understandable too because they haven't really invested in the transfer market. They haven't. They've been dealing yeah. with a again another will they won't they with their ownership over the last few yeah. few months. So. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't have a lot to really disagree with you on this one. I mean, I, 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 yeah. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to make predictions on relegation this early in the season outside and, of maybe Norwich. But well, let me ask you this this question, Owen. I mean, I never watched the documentary, but are we looking at another Sunderland here? I think it's very possible with the state of ownership at that club, how, but how historic they are. I mean, with the financial situation there, and truthfully the age of the squad because with you know i mean most of their players are are you know uh late prime or older they don't really have many good young players i i mean it's looking like dire situation for them i I, they're yeah they're 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 their squads in trouble right only thing that's going to save them is a big wealthy owner that's just going to completely overhaul the squad because, like I said, I mean, this squad needs a revamp big yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> big time. I, I think this this whole thing kind of started when uh, Benitez left the club. Because when a Champions League winning uh-huh. manager asks the owner, like, hey, I need money for players. Like, we need we need reinforcements. Yeah. The squad is it's a good, like, we have enough to stay in the Premier League, but we don't have enough to compete and, and win and challenge for the trophies that the size of a club like Newcastle really should be competing for. I mean, yeah. for for people who aren't really familiar with with Newcastle, I mean, this yeah. is this is one of the biggest clubs in England, no doubt yeah. about it. Regardless of the fact uh-huh. that they were relegated a few years ago, this is the biggest, cl- the, not the big, not the biggest. This is one of the biggest clubs in England, no doubt. And yeah, for yeah. For, for this to happen to them, I mean, you would honestly not like them to go the path of Sunderland because it, it, it's just it's really sad what's happened to Sunderland. But uh, you know. The warning signs are there. I mean, when when a Champions League winning manager asks you for money and you say no and he leaves, that's probably not a good thing. Yeah, it's um, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, whatever happened there. I mean, Benitez is kind of one of those guys that likes to do things his way. But, um, you know, for sure, he's the kind of guy that could have kept them in the league. But but now. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, um, I don't know. I just, I gotta, I gotta tell you, man. I remember the good old days with Andy Carroll. Andy Carroll was so good. Andy Carroll. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. What a guy. Like he, oh, he was an incredible player. Um, you know, he, right. uh, yeah, fantastic. fantastic. Uh, what a time. Well, Willie, that's a perfect segue to one of his other clubs, West Ham. Yeah. Formerly of West Ham United, Andy Carroll. Uh, what a team they have been in 2021, the calendar year. What my God, Willie, wh- yeah. what is going on with West Ham? They are playing incredible football. Mm. Yeah, the um, the smashing of Leicester was like, wow. Like, this team is really damn good. And there's no setback from last year, too. It's incredible. On And I mean... It just shows, like, that 
it's a it's the redemption of David Moyes. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, it's just and they lost Lingard too, so it's like oh, they're doing this without Lingard, who played out of his mind last year. Um, yeah, it's just an incredible story. And here, this is a perfect example for Arsenal, right? Because the West Ham, they have the West Ham way too. And we saw how bad Pellegrini, how bad that worked there. And I think West Ham realized, well, hey, I mean, you know, we, they flirted with relegation. They've gotten very, they got very close in the 2000, like the year Charlton had. And, but they, they realized like, hey, we need to deviate from the plan. We got to do what's best for us. And man, they've, they have some, they have an incredible team. They do. They have an incredible team. Yeah. They really do. And of yeah. of all of the other 14, we'll put it that way, the outside yeah. of the traditional big six, they and Leicester, yeah. I think, are the only two who have a legitimate chance of breaking into that top four. I mean, I, I, yeah. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a huge chance, but I'd call it an outside chance for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, and and that speaks to the job David Moyes has done with his recruitment, with his tactics, with his man management. So really a fantastic job for West Ham. And I hope they are, again, up there competing for, you know, one of those top European spots this year. I, I think they will. And I think, yeah, I think, I think, I'll, I'll just say this. So, and I actually think that they could challenge for the Champions League. I really do. They were in that conversation for a long time last season, so yep. it's not not unheard of. It doesn't just go away overnight, especially what yep. he's built and and the the just the way they've they've set up their entire team. I mean, yeah. Suchek is an incredible player. Fornals is oh. quality. Ben Rami, what yeah, a he's... team they have! Yeah. For Absolutely. for the lack of notoriety and the lack of fanfare that they get. It's truly, it's, it's special. And use I'm a this fan. as, like you said, use this as a good example because of like you were saying what Arsenal's do. Because remember, at when what when Moyes took over for Pellegrini, and he got kept them in the league. There was all this talk: Are we going to give Moyes the job? Like, are we going to give him the job? A lot of people didn't want him to get the job. They just Here thought, and Moyes paid his dues. He kept going to these clubs. He went. He was previously at West Ham, kept in the league, then he didn't get the job. You know, he's been all over the place, but what a career he's had. I mean, it's a very um, – bro, it's it's so crazy. Do you know how many clubs he's been at since um, Manchester United? Oh, he's been at at least four, no? Uh, three, but four. This is his fourth stint. Mm. I remember he see he was at Real Sociedad uh-huh. and he was at Sunderland and then those went terribly and then yep. West Ham the first time and then so that, that's I mean wow yeah <laughs> crazy wow. what what yeah. a job he's done though seriously yeah uh-huh. uh, Willie on the subject of managers though we I want to get to the next point and okay and I this may be a hot take I don't know Nuno oh. I think right now is the perfect manager for Spurs. I agree. And I think I think that the way he's set them up, given the personnel they have, and just the DNA of that club, he's the perfect manager. Mm-hmm. Nuno yeah. is he he. I like listening to him in press conferences because he's very romantic about the game. 
which is in some ways it's kind of funny because he looks like a Portuguese Santa Claus. But the other bit of it is it's just he has this sort of very it it, it, it almost seems like a, a I don't know how to describe it like a very posh way of viewing football like it's this beautiful game yes and and we need the fans to be part of it we need everyone to be part mm. of it mm. and they play some good stuff it's counterattacking football but it's really attractive counterattacking football i think it's a perfect yeah. fit right now i was a little bit worried about nuno in the sense that wolves has great player development and a great academy and they produce so many good players but He's really shown his tactical acumen, and um, absolutely, he. I think the big thing is he, you know, I think the the cool thing with with Nuno, you're right, is it seems like, you know, whatever system he wants to play, he sticks with it and makes sure the players, you know, do well. And Tottenham is another great example, right? They they went away from the Tottenham way, quote unquote. Here they are, two managers in a row that are not pretty so- soccer, you know. So it's a great example of, um, you're right, he does seem like the perfect manager for Spurs now. Does this fairy honeymoon period when the cover lays bare is what will happen. But, man, they have the perfect players to play in the counterattack. So, yep. you know, yep. yeah. I wish yeah. I wish Yeoman Son played for literally any other club except for Tottenham. Well, okay, never mind. What a player I, I, he is! What a player he is! I, that's code for I wish he played for Liverpool, but I'm not going to actually say that on the on the podcast, except I just actually did. Oops. Um, no, yep. what a what a player he is for sure, Willie. What a player. Yep. Uh huh. Absolutely. All right, Willie, your man, Romelu Lukaku, his debut uh, for Chelsea, his debut 2.0 yeah. for Chelsea. Yeah. Tell, I mean, tell us about it. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, look, I just think Lukaku, I, I'll say this again. I, I think that Premier League fans are just really, really um, either stuck up or biased or jaded, whatever you want to say. And they they just, these fans, they they think that, you know, they they think that um, you know that that players who that there's this this thing about like are you good enough for the 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 Premier League and I just cannot believe it because whether it's West Brom Everton Man United he always scored goals always and there's always some critique. Oh, he can't play in the big games, or oh, he's not right in the system, or oh, when you can you really count on him a whole season? And it's just like he's always been an incredible player, but now he's just oozing with confidence. And like I told you, I like to watch the Serie. A. I watch a decent amount of Inter Milan games. He looks so good, and man, I I, I mean, I will tell you right now. I mean, um, you know, I I believe that. Um, you know, he look, I will just say this. If I could have redone my pick, I would have if he was there at the start of the season, I would have picked Lukaku to win Golden Boot. I'll just say that. But 
I'll stick with Salah. It's okay. But yeah, Lukaku is man, he's good. Well, he, he is. To, to your Salah point really quickly, it looks like Liverpool uh, may not have the goals from Salah, but they're going to have the assists because Mo Salah yeah. is passing. He He's not just taking every half chance and shooting. That's that's rare. I mean, since he's since he joined Liverpool and kind of was played in a, in a center role occasionally, he became a little bit selfish. I'm not going to lie. But now he's starting to, in the words of Lee Dixon, appreciate his teammates. Or maybe it was... Um, Maybe it's Jim Beglin. I can't remember which color commentator it was. Someone said he he appreciated his teammates, and I think that is a big telling sign for what we're going to see out of Salah this year. I still think it's his last year at the club. But what you were saying, Willie, that 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 trait you mentioned, confidence, that is the one thing I want to hone in on because I remember in a preview podcast, and maybe this was me talking to you offline. I don't remember if I actually said it in the podcast, but yeah, I want to give you two examples. Salah is one of them. Kevin De Bruyne is the other. Kevin De Bruyne, first stint with Chelsea, not great. Not very awe-inspiring. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, he, he, he wasn't good enough for Chelsea. So they shipped him out to Wolfsburg. He tore the Bundesliga apart. And that's not because he just learned how to play football again at Wolfsburg. No. He gained confidence in a new environment. And he brought that confidence with him. Because at the top level, and, and I've said this before with other sports, the difference is not... Equality. Nine times out of ten. Unless you're talking Mbappe, Neymar, Messi, Ronaldo, Salah, etc. But even Salah is one of those cases. Confidence is the difference maker. If you have more confidence than you did before in a new league, like Lukaku did, or like Lukaku has now, like De Bruyne did when he came back, and like Salah did when he came back, you are going to have exponentially you're going to have a, a a a significantly better time as far as your your actual output you're going to be able to perform yeah. better because you feel better about yourself because you've gone out and you've gained that confidence in your own abilities yeah. and brought yeah. it with you to the biggest stages and i think this is another one of those cases where lukaku is showing he's going to do that exact same thing he yep. was still scoring goals, but maybe he didn't have the confidence because he was playing in a club like Man United, and if you don't score in one one big game yeah. at Man United, you get hounded by everyone because it's Manchester United. But now he has yep. this... He's oozing confidence. And that's gonna... Yeah. It means he's gonna ooze goals. And that's a scary thought for the rest of the league. Yeah, it's... You're right. He's been there and done that, and Inter Milan changed him. And... But I think that and even he, I think he even proved to himself a little bit that he could do it. Yeah. So, yeah, for sure. It's proven um, to others and proven to himself that he's he can do it. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Willie, two more points before we move on because I know you want to talk about college football on today's pod. Okay. Uh, is Norwich City the worst Premier League team? That was your question that you posed to me earlier. Yeah, I look. I don't. I mean. It is too early to really definitively say, but I, I mean, this reminds me of, you know, Derby County when they set the record for like lowest Premier League points. Uh, and did that get broken? I think it got broken a couple of years ago. If I'm not, I can't remember who. Oh, um, Huddersfield. Maybe? Huddersfield. But I mean, 
I I will say they they look so bad. They look so bad. Like, and and you incredible. and I were you and I were talking about this before we started recording. It was literally a question of win win the championship, get relegated. Win the championship, get relegated. Win the championship, get relegated. I mean, that's what it's been so far. And they're on that path yeah. right now because they have not. I mean, yes, they've played Man City. Yeah. But it's yikes. Yikes. Well, all, yeah, yeah, they, they, uh, if it's anything like they were two, two seasons ago, they're, they haven't reinforced the squad. I can't figure that out, too. They just haven't reinforced the squad like some of these other teams do. So. Don't make any sense. Yeah. Don't make any sense. Uh, let me let but, me let me expand on that point really quickly. They've played not only have they played Man City away, they played Liverpool at home. Yeah. And they conceded eight goals. Yeah. So not a great start. I mean, it, it could be a case where Norwich, like Arsenal, take a little bit of time to get going, but they go on a run later this season. Who who knows? Yeah. But I mean, it does. It just doesn't look good right now. It's two games, but it doesn't look good. Well, uh, I'll tell you what, Owen. You know who's? Uh, do you know who's waiting uh, for a call? Is Sam Ellis again? <laughs> Big Sam. He's waiting. Yeah, waiting. Ready Not with waiting. West Brom. I don't think yeah. he's with West Brom anymore. No, he so, left yeah. West Brom after they got relegated. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Jeez. First time in his career he's gotten relegated. So maybe he's maybe he's giving it up. He's uh, he's yeah. finally gotten relegated. Big Sam. By the way, how about West Brom losing to Arsenal 6-0? <laughs> That's something. Yeah. yeah. Um, Willie, the last point I want to touch on before we get to college football. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I said they had 25% possession. Too. Ah, nice. Love to see it. Um, uh-huh. The last point I want to touch on, uh, I guess we should touch on before we go over to college football, Willie, is the... Premier League's new policy that they're not going to release players yeah. uh, for international yeah. duty if the yeah. countries are going to are in the UK's COVID red zone. So basically, they're higher risk and higher. Right. Um, I think it's a higher positivity rate. I don't know what their what their metric is, but it's co- countries that have worse COVID outbreaks, and and that's yeah. a big deal because we have World Cup qualifiers coming up, and if yeah. some players at the, the top level aren't able to travel to play for their country, then we may have a very different looking picture. I mean, yes, the World Cup's going to be expanded in 2022, but we're going to have a very different looking picture this year in qualifiers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's going to be, it's kind of um, sad. It's very sad. Um, you know, um, and I personally, you know, don't agree with it. You know, the World Cup is such a, a big deal and um you know but it's it's just a travesty tells the time we're in but man i mean there's some i mean man some really good players i mean here's here's some players um think about these players too you know uh for example you've got tiago silva richarlson james rodriguez sierra mina sank tosin uh you've got um, you know, McAllister, you've got Emmy Martinez, um, all the Liverpool guys, you know, so Mohamed Salah, Alisson, Fabinho, Firmino. From Leeds, you've got um, Rafinha, plays a decent role. You've got Gabriel Jesus, Ederson Fernandinho, 
they play a big role, obviously. You've got Fred uh, and Alex Tellez, who play big roles, too. Cavani is in there. Uh, you've got, you know, Almiron and Joe Ellington. You've got Lo Celso, who plays a big role, too. Dobson Sanchez. Raul Jimenez from Mexico. That's good for the U.S. <laughs> yeah. Um, you've got Manuel Nzini, who's another one, and also Soyenchu as well. Um, mm. So, I mean, there's more that I could read. Oh, Mohamed Elneny is a big for Egypt mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. But, um, man, I mean, Owen, uh, these are, I mean, big, kind of huge impacts on Brazil in particular. It's yeah. Decent. Brazil 13. is losing most of their starting wow. 11. So that's, I mean, and, and that's huge. And yes, wow. Brazil has quality, but yeah, I mean, this is a lot of players. That's their top two goalkeepers, Allison and Ederson. Not to yeah, mention it's... Fabinho, Firmino. It's, hey, it's, that's rough. Yeah, it, yeah, it's, um, very sad situation. Yeah. And, Man, I mean, they could really drastically affect World Cup qualifying and the Premier League, for that matter, yeah. as well. Yep. And, mm-hmm. and you know, there's a fine line, of course. We're not epidemiologists, so we don't have yeah. inside knowledge as to what uh, what COVID-19 is is kind of what it's doing but on an international level what or I, what the potential I don't is. Like but... about it, what I don't like about it, though, mm-hmm. I will just say this. I don't like it. Is I feel like the Premier League clubs, when you read the articles and stuff, um... It's more about them. Because here's my opinion. They could easily come back on a private jet, presumably, take straight to their home quarantine for 10 days. But it makes it seem like when you read the stuff that the Premier League clubs don't want to release them because they'd have to go to a 10-day quarantine. And that's, you know, maybe two games that they miss and maybe more because they presumably can't leave home and train. So they're they're going to lose fitness. So I think it's just not right, you know. But I understand at the end of the day, these these players are being paid lots of money too. So these clubs, hey, we we want you, you know. But, right, but, but yeah. yes, they're being paid a lot of money. But you're being asked to travel yeah. internationally during a global pandemic yeah. with a deadly pathogen but, on the loose. Let's let's not mm-hmm. forget that that the reason we're all at home in the first place is because there's a deadly yep. pathogen on the loose, not because we just want to be at home. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think that's a point worth mentioning, but I, I'm kind of with you on this one. It, it's a little bit like th- there are ways to get around it, I guess. There are ways to prevent it. But I think the source, it doesn't start with the league. It starts with FIFA. Yeah. Why do you need to have yeah. World Cup qualifiers internationally during a pandemic? Like, yeah. come on now. Let's, let's, let's be realistic and let's adjust expectations based on what's happening in the world right I now. And what's happening in the world smart. right now is people are smart. dying. Yeah, I think it's smart. They could have done it like the Champions League, where take a month long international break and then just play kind of a tournament. Get you know three in a in a neutral site and just get three four venues. It is tough though, because you know at the same time, World Cup qualifying there's huge like home uh, advantages there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, it's tough, but I agree. I I do think FIFA needs to amend things uh and realize the product is being ruined by this stuff so i mean it's it's not even the it's just people's lives 
yeah, I mean, yeah, and life, it's yeah. it's unnecessarily bringing all the all of these very complicated matters when there's something much more important going on in the world, and this is only further complicating it. And then the league decides that they want to do this one thing. It's just it, it, it's a mess, Willie. It's a mess. Absolutely. Pure mess, pure no mess. getting yep. around it. Yep. All right, Willie, we got to switch gears. We got to talk college football because you have something you wanted to kind of take the wheel on. So yep. here you go. Well, um, so, um, you know, so if you guys haven't been following college football, which is, you know, such a big deal and such a great sport, <laughs> um, there's been a lot of changes and so most recently it's been announced texas and oklahoma have been accepted and have agreed to join the sec and then um also the big 12 acc and pac 12 have formed an alliance and they haven't really said they purposely have have left it vague about what it means but it's presumably to make sure that enough of their teams get in the college football playoff and that their conferences stay together because they didn't include the Big 12. seems like the, the Big 12 is done for sure. Um, and I just think this is really sad. I mean, to me, I just think that, you know, sure, college football fans might enjoy for a few years seeing – Texas and Oklahoma go to the SEC. It just makes the strongest conference even stronger. But I think this is like the equivalent of the Super League, the closest equivalent we have. And I just think it's it's completely ruining the sport. Uh, and I, I think, you know, A, there's less conferences uh, and clearly one that's so far above the best, uh, of the, above the rest. And... Uh, and I think we're just headed for a, you know, power five conglomerate in the two conferences and where we don't have division one anymore. We just have the power five teams playing their own thing. And I think it's the case where I'll say it again. I think the first two, three years, people will love it, kind of like the Super League. But then in due time, and some for some people, but I think in due time, we're going to see that this was the death of a great sport, which people love. And, uh, you know, I think the SEC has to be the one to blame. <laughs> so, you know, I, yeah, it's, it's sad. I think yeah. It's really sad. No, I, I can't totally disagree with you on that because when you're adding two very storied programs like Texas and Oklahoma to the same conference as Alabama, Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, you're you're putting a lot of the best college football teams in the same conference. Yeah. Uh, but but what that does, and and I think it, it's it's really it 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 could go either way, like you're saying. It could go the way like you're saying, really. Like it creates kind of a super league dynamic, or it could go the other yeah. way, where as it stands right now, it's the four team college football playoff. There are four teams that make it every year. And one of the things that the selection committee every year looks at is not only your record, it looks at the eye test as well, your ranking, but this yep. last one, which is arguably the most important one, which is the conference championship. Because 
they don't want too many yeah. teams in the college football playoff who aren't conference champions. I mean, it's rare that you have a team. Uh, I mean, Georgia yeah. is maybe one of the better examples of this. I mean, Georgia is is usually the first one out, at least in the last few years. They've been the first one out of the playoff if they yeah. if they aren't in the playoff and aren't blowing twenty to six leads, basically at home to Alabama in the championship game. But it, it, it creates this dynamic where you still have to win your conference. And it takes one conference out of the equation, sure. And this this kind of alliance with, with what is it, the ACC, yeah. Pac-12, uh, and what's the third one, the Big Ten? Um, yes. Yeah, so they're trying to make sure that they have you know their fair share of teams in the playoff. But if you add Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC there's still likely only going to be a maximum of two teams that can realistically make it out yeah, of the SEC into the playoff. Really hard. Yeah. So, right. So it becomes one of those things where the conference championship and the selection committee is still the kind of the question mark on the X factor that could keep the competitive element alive. Uh, I do get what you're saying, though, in the sense that all of the talent is being concentrated into one thing. So no matter what happens, it's going to be one representative from the SEC. But mm. that's already been the case in the in the history of the playoff. That's happened every yeah. single year. There's already been at least one SEC representative in the playoff. So it's it's yeah. not a a out of left field thing for the strongest division, the strongest conference in college football to get even stronger and kind of given where the two schools are right now, Texas and Oklahoma. I mean, Oklahoma is sure there's an addition, but Texas has kind of been, I mean, they beat Georgia a couple of years ago in the sugar bowl, but they're down. It, it's, it's the death. I'll tell you what the biggest loser in this is Texas, because man, they are, they've been really struggling. They've been, I mean, borderline just mediocre really. And, uh, they go to SEC unless Sarkeesian does a good job. I mean, forget it. Death of their program, you know. So, yeah, I, I agree with you on. I think. Well, but sorry, I, I didn't want to cut you off. You're the resident SEC football. No, fan. no, 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 no. I, I just wanted to respond to the point that you made. I, I, I am on board with what you're saying, and I agree with it. No. I don't necessarily think it's all doom and gloom, though. I think there's there's an element of, of uncertainty, that is that is unsettling. But at the end of the day, who makes the college football playoff is not entirely based on how many wins you have. It's very yeah. rare where you're going to have out of those four teams that half of them, two of them, are going to be not uh, are, are not going to be conference champions. It's that's very rare. Yeah, you know it's it's it is very hard to possibly envision three teams ever getting it. Like so. Tell you what, Oklahoma and Texas fans, you got what you asked for. Mm -hmm. You want to play with the best? So here you go. Here's Alabama. Here go. Here's Auburn. Here's Georgia. Here's Florida. Here's. Oh my god. I mean, hell, even Tennessee, you're going to give those school a run for their give those schools a run for their money. I mean, even in an yeah. off year, Tennessee is still a very good team. Yeah. So. I mean, pretty much every team Kentucky's had, some good, you know, like, uh, yeah, I, I just, it's, to me. I'll just say that I always thought college football was great as we had it. I liked the fact that there were all these different conferences that were, while the SEC has always been the best, I mean, kind of balanced. You know, they're at least the power five was 
you know, the other four were somewhat equal and the SEC was better, but I don't think by such a big margin where it's like crazy. And then I think, you know, I love the fact that you've got the off chance of these mid-major teams potentially coming to make the playoff. I mean, I think that the only thing that could really save it, and maybe this is where we're headed. I don't even think save it's the right word because I just think the Power Five is just going to kill all the conferences and all the traditional games and rivalries and region. There's so many rivalries in the Big 12, so many crazy, so much history. Like the Big 12 had great football, like so much. And then Texas A&M started it by leaving. There was so much great battles in the Big 12. Like some of my favorite football to watch because we talked about just all offense, like crazy to watch. Um, and, but then, you know, also I, I think expanding the playoff would help for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, they took the money and, and ran and, yeah. uh, I don't know. I, I also think going, are, are people going to get sick of this? I, I man, man. No. And, and I, I think the, the whole rivalry thing is not going to change for the simple fact that Notre Dame does not have a conference. And for, for whatever reason, they, they are the one school, the only school in the country, bar, I don't know, I, I don't know what the exceptions are, but they're the only school in the country who can realistically make the college football playoff and not be a conference champion. They made the playoff last year over Georgia. Yeah. That should not have happened. They should not have been in the playoff, or uh, whatever it was, last year, two years ago, they should not have been in the playoff. Uh-huh. It's just, it's just, it's not, it, 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 it's one of those things where the conference does not make or break the rivalry. It, it, it affects the history of it. And it, it's, it's a break from what we understand the history of it to be. And that's yeah. a big part of college football. Obviously, I don't, I don't want to, that point to be lost on anyone, but yeah. you're, Texas is still going to play Oklahoma and Oklahoma is still going to play Oklahoma state. It may not be a conference game, but they're still going to play each other. And that I think is the I gotta that, tell you it's on. a big point. I gotta tell you on. First of all, you're right, and Texas A&M has some rivalries. First of all, I will say, besides those teams, there are some other good rivalries. But I gotta tell you, um, it's not the same when you don't play in the conference. It's just not. I've seen too many examples when you leave. I mean, per, the one personal in my heart is the Syracuse Georgetown rivalry, which was as good as Duke North Carolina. I don't care what casual fans say. And it just, the, the rivalry, like, died out. I mean, it doesn't feel like a rivalry when they play, and they try to hype it up. But I mean, so, what, look, what about Notre Dame-USC? I mean, people still hail that as a rivalry, and th- these are two subpar teams playing each other. I, I mean, don't, I don't consider that a rivalry. They play each other every year, but I don't consider... I just don't consider... Like, they're cool games, but I don't consider them a huge rivalry. And, I mean, you know, if, if somehow they combine conferences, then maybe it could turn into one. But typically what happens is new rivalries form when conferences merge, you know? Mm. Like, another example, person in my heart, like, Syracuse and Duke basketball are kind of becoming a rivalry. They, the ACC, they, Syracuse joined the ACC 
they start playing each other. They've had great games. That's how it happens. And there mm-hmm. could be new. I mean, I think Texas A and M and Texas were big rivals too. Mm-hmm. So that'll be interesting. To see that happened, but yeah. But yeah, I think bottom line is too. I think you know ACC is the next conference to fall. If Notre Dame or Clemson, if Notre Dame leaves, which they probably will, end the ACC. For sure. So. Yeah. I mean, how about Alabama and Clemson, though? I mean, that in the last few years has become a major rivalry and it's become the title games. How many times? Three. It was three in a row for uh, LSU. Yeah. Um, uh, or was two, three LSU out of four Clemson. years. Three out of yeah, four years. Three out of four years. So, but, well, you know, it, it makes the it makes college football a little more a little more strange, uh, just wonkier in some ways, but it's still the same product. And, you know, ultimately, mm. ultimately, it, it, it comes down to playoff conference champions and, and yeah. the like. It, it, it is not going to be the same. That is for sure. I'm not disputing you on that point. And thankfully, this won't happen until 2025. So there's still a few years left. Of, like, of I think bottom line is there's just less good games. Like, like, to me, it's like you'll get a couple of good games where you have Oklahoma and Texas playing that. But it's like. I liked the Big 12 Conference. They were good games in their own right and interesting games. And now it's just, okay, so Oklahoma loses a game. They're done. That's it. None of their games matter anymore. Like, you know, okay. I don't know. I mean, that's I that's, like- that's kind of how it is these days with the playoff. I mean, you, you think every time Alabama loses a game, which, again, is few and far between under Nick Saban. But every yeah. time they lose a game, it's like, oh, they're not making the playoff this year. This is this doesn't really matter. In 2019, when they had that down year and Tua was hurt a lot of the year, yeah. they they had that down year. The Iron Bowl was a meaningless game. At that point, yeah. they were really already was. pretty much out of the playoff. And then Auburn actually showed up and they smashed Alabama. And yeah. it, it was just yeah. one of those things where it's like, this is one of the games in college football. This is the Iron Bowl, Alabama, Auburn, every single year around Thanksgiving. It just didn't have that. And so it, it, it's been like that where if you lose a couple, if you lose one or two games, you're done. Your season doesn't really matter because all that I, matters is the playoff. And honestly, Owen, I know, I think the playoff has kind of ruined the sport in some ways. There's so much focus on the playoff, not on the bowl games, or it creates meaningless games. And one thing I do just want to say, I think you make a, a Honestly, bro, like I, I know people aren't talking about this, but like because Texas A&M is so good now and they're preseason top 10. But like the Red River shootout could be ruined because for that reason, like Texas is, is mediocre as it stands. And so what now Oklahoma, Texas games are going to be meaningless games when before usually, usually in recent last 10 years since Mac Brown left, it's been. Oklahoma is the one with a lot to play for, and they play Texas. But now it's like, oh, well, what what do they have to play for? Who really cares about that game? Okay, they win. So Oklahoma can get nine wins and Texas six? No? Okay. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot that remains to be seen with, uh, with college football. And thankfully, again, we'll have a few years until yeah. this goes into effect. But I, I, yeah. do, I do hear a lot of the points you're saying, Will. They're, they're really good points yeah. to bring up, and I think they need to be addressed for sure. All right, folks. Well, it is that special time of every episode, as we yeah. always do. It is our hot take segment. So, yeah. uh, Willie, I told you before we started recording that I didn't have one for yeah. this week. And I forgot that I actually mm-hmm. tweeted out what, in effect, was my 
take. I'm just now expanding on it and taking it a little further. Yeah. So every year, time does a sports person of the year. Yeah. In 2021, it has to be Shohei Otani. It has to okay. be Shohei Otani because he is the biggest name in baseball for sure. sure. But he mm-hmm. is arguably the biggest name in sports in a year where, and this is personal to me, of course, where there has been an exponential increase in anti-Asian American violence, anti-AAPI violence. When a Japanese superstar comes over from Japan and takes this league by storm, given after a couple of years, you know, getting used to the season and getting used to how MLB is in relation Mm -hmm. to the Japanese league. He comes over and he takes the league by storm and he's doing things that Babe Ruth barely did. He's doing things yeah. that Babe Ruth did, but better. Yeah. The only person in history to ever start an all-star game as a pitcher and bat leadoff. Ever. Yeah. I mean, he is doing incredible. That we gotta no do our one own has ever it's done. Incredible. It's I mean, absolutely incredible. My Twitter feed over the last, you know, three months or so has effectively been a Shohei Otani appreciation uh, Twitter page. That's effectively all it is. Because he's doing things that mean so much to so many people. And he's doing it without speaking any English. What's up, Stephen A. Smith? Yeah. That take still bothers me. Uh, that I mean, I know he apologized for it, but it still bothers me. Uh-huh. It's still like when you have that... He knows he has that big of a following. And he can say things that are kind of inflammatory like that. Like, he... he <sighs> I don't yeah. know. But my point is, uh-huh. Shohei Otani should be the sports person of the year. Okay. And yeah, the, I mean, the other that... reason. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Sure. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say the other reason I mentioned that is, uh-huh. and, and, and this may be the case too if Jacob deGrom is, is health, was healthy and still, and still pitching. But Walker Bueller. Of the Dodgers coming into today, I don't know if it's how it's changed based on his his outing today. So incredible. Well, Walker Bueller's ERA. They're, they're in extra innings. Walker Bueller's ERA is two eleven. And how incredible. many times has he been mentioned? Almost none. Yeah. Because everyone's talking about Shohei Otani. You we are talking about a exceptional season. I mean, he, yep. he has to be one of the front runners for NL Cy Young, but no one's really paying attention to that. No one really cares because of Shohei Otani. It, I don't think there's any other argument besides that. I mean, it, it would be it would be the most fitting thing if they made Shohei Otani sports person of the year. That's just my take. And if you if you haven't been following baseball, if you haven't been following Shohei Otani, you probably should. I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that um, can't argue with that. I mean, th- I think he should win, which is a big deal to win that award. By the way, mm-hmm. it's a really big it's deal. A big deal, absolutely. I mean, what he's doing in baseball is just absolutely incredible. I don't think anyone in our wildest dreams could have ever predicted someone that's a two-way player to be have this good a season. We got to dedicate at least 40 minutes of next podcast segment to Otani because it's just incredible. And yeah, I mean, you know, it's a great story. It could absolutely be, you know, person of the year. And uh, 
cherish it because, I mean, there's no way he can do this again, I don't think. So, well, I mean, never we'll, we'll figure out if it's sustainable, though, because I remember it was either before last season or before this season. There were a mm. lot of reports, and you could see it in the photos, too, that Shohei Otani has been hitting the weights hard. And I think it was it was maybe before last season where he showed mm -hmm. up and he was bulked up. He was bigger. He was stronger. Mm -hmm. And he's now yeah. seeing the benefits of that. And he's yeah. throwing stupid Frisbee sliders, 98 up in the zone, throwing just gas and hitting piss missiles, just tanks all mm -hmm. over the yard. I mean, how many guys yeah. in history have hit 40 home runs before the end of August and have an ERA that's three? His ERA today? Yeah. Three. Point zero zero. Yeah, Walker Bueller. I forgot to say that. Yeah, he, he's just... Walker Bueller has a 2.11 ERA. No one's talking about him. And it's... it's in, Yeah, I mean, literally, he's an unbelievable, unbelievable pitcher. Uh, and he's been so clutch for the Dodgers in the postseason. And they need him now more than ever because, you know, Kershaw's been on the DL so long and he's just keeping them afloat man it's uh by the way they're like i said they're in the top of the 12th inning right now <laughs> oh interesting well yep. that's my take folks shohei otani should be the time sports person of the year for 2021 he should be i don't know if he will but he should be really yeah okay that's how strongly i feel about it all right i mean and, well. and it's it's, it's low-key personal too because you know obviously you you know i've talked about this a lot uh specifically not in the podcast but the amount of anti-aapi violence this year has just it's it's exhausting man to see something in the news about an elderly asian person being assaulted in broad mm -hmm. daylight i mean that yeah. could be you know what what is to say that couldn't have been my mom that's something that yeah. it, it hits hard i gotta i gotta say it hits hard yeah Absolutely. No, I, I completely sympathize with you there and empathize for everyone out there. That's, yeah, had to experience this either personally or just to, we have to talk about it, you know? Um, yep, indeed. For sure. Very, very, very sad. Anyways, yeah. show him, Tony. That's it. <laughs> okay, I've got, I've got four hot takes. All right, let's rattle them off, Willie. What do you got? All right, all right, we'll go quick. There, one's golf, one's football, one's tennis, and one's soccer. Oh boy! All right, let's for, no, just just rip for which just, one? Whatever you want to do, just rip them off. Okay, I'll start with golf. All right. Okay. Yeah. So Tony Finau won the Northern Trust Open. It's yep. great. Mm -hmm. I'm calling this his last ever tournament win. Oh my goodness! Oh his no! Oh Willie! Oh no! And it just comes down to the fact. That first of all, we're a hot takes segment here. But yeah, that's true. It that's comes true. down to the fact that there's so many players that only have three to five wins on the PGA Tour that are just so good, and I think the you know the Finau's been close before this, obviously well documented so many times, but um, at the end of the day, I just think his. He's been working on it, and they talked a lot about it on the broadcast, but his inconsistent short game, even though he's been working on it, I think is a killer for really, like, winning. So I'm just going to say that he will 
win twice. <laughs> I mean, we could list other players that haven't won for many years. That's true. Just that is true. I mean, that shows you, number one, how deep fields are, and number two, how hard golf is. That's just the bottom line. Golf. That's the takeaway. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. What do you got? What else you got for us? All right. Uh, number two. Uh, I, I'm just going in order that I wrote them in my phone. I don't know. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, NFL. Yep. I'm going to call the Jets make the playoffs. The Jets. The Jets make the playoffs. Uh, everything that people say about Robert Sala is incredible. And despite a rookie quarterback, despite being just a pitiful franchise the last like the seven, New eight York years, Jets. I, I just, they're <laughs> undefeated with Robert Sala. And uh, I think the seventh spot in the AFC is legitimately open. And so I think I'm calling it. I think they'll get the seventh spot. Oh, all right. I, uh, I I can't really dispute that. I mean, I haven't been following the preseason as much just because the Falcons are a giant right. dumpster fire, and they will yeah. always be a giant dumpster fire. So, yeah. especially there with Matt is. Ryan still a quarterback. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, all right, he's so overrated. I, I've given this take too many times. Uh, he's overrated. Not going to win a Super Bowl with the Falcons. Next. Uh, yeah. No, he's not going to win a Super Bowl. No. <laughs> no. Sure. no. No. If you he trade Julio, no. you got to trade Matt Ryan, too. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Falcons fans, listening yeah. to this. We got. I don't think go. Julio do with Tennessee. Can we not talk about Julio Jones, please? Makes me okay. sad. I don't want to be sad at the end of our podcast. Okay. All right, so I got three. Uh, the third one, more for me personally. Yeah. Because I'm a huge fan. I watch tons of tennis. It's yeah. Sometimes I think it is my favorite sport to watch, and um, the U.S. Open is coming up next week, so mm. I'm going to make a prediction. And in particular, women's tennis is just wide open. Mm. I think that with Osaka struggling badly, there's just, I mean, you look at, I mean, women's tennis, it's like there's so many players. There's no clear-cut favorite. Mm. And so many players win different tournaments, win Grand Slam, tap in the most recent tournaments player. So I'm going to call a player who's good, but this would definitely be a big upset if she wins. She's ranked 45 in the world. I'm going to pick the winner is Isla Tomjanovic, who is, I don't think she's ever been past a round of 16 at a major. She's, but I mean, like I said, she's ranked 45 in the world. She's never really won anything big at all. Um, but she's got power, great ground strokes will play well on the fast surface hasn't really shown much form but i i think in the spirit of the last few weeks i'm gonna pick isla tomjanovic which would be a big a huge upset to win yeah. the uh, us open no no kidding sure. um i i think again i don't follow tennis really at all anymore yeah. so i can't really say but i, I know for a fact that it, 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 it's like picking a winner of a golf tournament it's it's so hard to do because everyone is so good that they yeah. can all win any given week. And so it's, it's you know, obviously you can't say it's impossible because if they're in the tournament, they have a chance. So yeah. That's all there is no, to it. No, I mean, absolutely. Um, okay, Owen. I've got, uh, I've got, um, I've got a third one. And, um, 
I'm going to see who their, their our fourth one, sorry. I'm gonna, just looking up who their first opponent is. So, okay, here we go. I think Mexico is not going to make the World Cup. Uh, which I think, I mean, I don't know if they've ever not qualified in CONCACAF. They got very close two World Cup qualifiers ago. They had to score a goal in like the 80th minute against Panama to win. Or no, the U.S. scored a goal against Panama. But the reason is not as much Mexico, even though I think without Raul Jimenez, that's a huge deal. Because mm-hmm. one thing that's been clear, made clear by watching Mexico is they really rely on their strikers on that team. They have some deficiencies, and so I think they really could use them. Um, that's just more because I actually think that the rest of CONCACAF is um, is somewhat strong. And so I'm picking the four teams I'm picking. I'm picking the U.S., Panama, Canada, and Jamaica. Those are my four teams. No Costa Rica, no Mexico. No Costa Rica, no Mexico. Yikes. That is, um, wow. And I did look, I did, uh, yeah, I did, uh, did look it up here in Mexico opens, uh, at the Rio Tinto stadium in Costa Rica. So that'll be a epic what? Costa Rica, probably the second toughest away venue, arguably. Uh, so in Cogcaf, so it'll be, uh, interesting. Be interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, it's it's just very i don't know i think i'd find it hard to believe that a team like mexico wouldn't make it um it's dude i just i don't know i mean i think it's just oh you said you said that's crazy when mexico made it in because the u.s scored a goal in the 80th minute and the u.s missed the world cup so it can definitely happen (laughs) that's true i mean it, it, it is it is doable of course uh, and I think it's I, just important to go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I'm I just, cut you off. no, I was just saying it's with the, Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, 2026 is when the field expands. Okay. So it's still 32. Yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was going to be 48 teams in 2022, no. but it's 2026. No, okay. never mind. Yeah, right. That, that actually skews on my point a little bit. I think it's still pretty far fetched to say that though. Um, you know, obviously, we'll see how the qualif- the first round of qualifiers go. But it's, God, that's a big call. I mean, it, it's really just a massive, massive shout for a team like Mexico to miss. I mean, and I think that, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I, I can't imagine the scenes. It, it should that happen because in the U.S. it was kind of like, oh wow, we missed qualifying a World Cup. Oh well, we're bad at soccer. That's fine. But Mexico and any other country in the world that lives and breathes football. I mean, oh, it's it's yeah, inconceivable. The... It actually is inconceivable. Yeah, I don't I, know, Willie. Oh, That's man, a big call. The fans would go. Yeah, really. There would be so, riots. There'd be, there would be riots. There'd be stuff in the street. There would mm. be bad chants. There would be parts of the city would get destroyed. Mexico City maybe would get destroyed. Yeah, Tata Martino would have to evade the country. Yeah. <laughs> Flee to Ar- um, go back to Argentina. Flee, my friend. Then again, though, I should just mention the biggest reason that the U.S. Uh, did not qualify for the last World Cup is they got off to a really. Ba- I know they changed the 
format to allow more teams. So there's going to be more games, which is going to make it more exciting, which is part of the reason I think Mexico won't qualify if there's more good teams. But uh, U.S. got off to a really bad start last year. They lost their first two games against Costa Rica and Mexico, and they had to go on a tear to even be in fourth place going into the last game. And you look at Mexico's um, opening schedule, I mean, three of the toughest games possibly have. They have at Costa Rica versus at home versus Canada, who I think is going to be really good, and at Honduras, who's always a really tough game. You know, if they struggle there, they could be in a little bit of trouble. So, you know, that's, yeah, this is my take. I haven't been, I got to be honest, like, I haven't been, like, Mexico underperformed in the Gold Cup, big time. Mexico, well, I mean, yeah, the U.S. won the tournament. That should be a, that should be a, just a, a notice that, like, the wow, they, they dropped a, the ball. a legitimate, like, C team. And, like, Mexico had a lot of their top players, and they didn't beat the U.S. So, you know, I, I don't know, I just... I, I think they're not playing their best football and, uh, you know, qualifiers, they're not going to have Raul Jimenez and qualifiers are coming real soon. Yeah. I mean, I guess I, I, there's, there's merit to what you're saying, Willie. I'm not going to, I'm not going to get around that, yeah. but it's, yeah. it's a shout. It's a big shout. And, yeah. you know, and this is, this is coming from, someone who is still kind of face palming from 2018 from 2017 when the US failed to qualify for the World Cup and they thought the solution to doing that was to hire Greg Berhalter to be uh, manager I uh, mean it, it it's just it it's yeah. a head scratcher it that it's just I think it's best to leave it at that you know cuz the qualifiers haven't started yet so it, it's just a head scratcher man I got to say yeah no Berhalter is and Although, to be fair, the U.S. has been um, playing well recently. So we'll see. Maybe it's the start of something. Well. But, yeah, I, I agree. You know, new yeah. manager. Yeah. Please. Uh, <laughs> Willie, we yeah. had some some takes. Some takes in this segment, I yeah. got to say. I really got to say. Um, any final uh, thoughts nah. before, we, before we get out of here? I think that Mbappe is going to end up staying at PSG. That's my prediction. Like he plays out and resigns. I I feel you. I feel you. I mean, I, I'm I'm kind of in the same boat too. I don't think there's a world in which he realistically goes to his agent and goes to PSG and yeah. goes sell me to Real Madrid. I don't care how much money they pay. Yeah, I I, I, I don't see that happening. But anyways, yeah, that's a good final thought, Willie. That's one to end yeah. it on. Folks, this has been episode 42 of Hot Takes Only. Remember, you can get this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anchor.fm slash hot takes only. That's all one word. Uh, next week, Willie, we're going to talk about uh, some U- uh, I was about to say U.S. Open. Some World Cup qualifiers the U.S. has to has to navigate. Uh, and we'll, oh. we'll have a more in-depth baseball review because roster expansions begin next uh, next Wednesday, I believe it is. Uh, yeah, and so we're gonna have a whole new ball game, no pun intended, uh, as it as it pertains to uh, the the last month of the regular season, which is hard to believe. I feel like we were doing our baseball prediction yesterday, so it, it, it the the calendar year is flying by, folks. But that's more hot takes only content for you every single week, Fridays, seven a.m. Pacific time, ten a.m. Eastern time. So for Willie, I'm Owen. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you in the next one.